Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. Glory to God. Would you turn, please, in the Word? To 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. Man, I like this. This scripture engraved on this thing right here. <laughs> Luke 4, that's neat. I hadn't noticed that. Was that here last time? Boy, I didn't see it, did I? Uh, 1 Peter, fifth chapter. You said you're believing with me tonight, right? Yeah. Because, you know, unless the Lord gives it, we don't have it. <laughs> but he, he is so faithful. He never lets you down. Never. First Peter 5, beginning in verse 1, he said, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness, of the sufferings of Christ and partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage but being in samples or one translation says patterns uh, to the flock. Um, <laughs> I know when my wife Phyllis and I first started in the ministry, which is uh, just a couple of months will be 40 years ago. Wow. Praise God. Uh, how many know the Lord had to sustain you for you to be, still be going, and just like this church and you guys? And, um, and so I'd tell her, you know, uh, we're examples because we talk about changing things and being aware of things. More than once she'd say, I don't want to be an example. <laughs> And I knew how she felt, but I didn't want to acknowledge it. And I said, yeah. I said, the thing is, we're already an example. Either a good one or a bad one. Right? But uh, we're supposed to be good examples. And that's not just for preachers. Every believer, every believer is to, and people are watching us. They are. Even if they say they don't believe in it and they don't like us, they're still watching us. And a lot of them are secretly hoping it's true. <laughs> but they're watching for signs being negative that it's not. And so um, we are all examples, good or bad, and the Lord will help us to be good ones. He said, when the chief shepherd shall appear, you'll receive a crown of glory that fades not away. It helps to have perspective, eternal perspective. Did you hear that phrase? That will absolutely affect. Uh, it helps you not to worry. It helps you not to get upset about things down here like other people do because you have a different perspective. 
if you're seeing things from an eternal perspective, which is God's perspective, then the temporary things down here are not nearly as big a deal. A whole lot of stuff that's going on is temporal, and nobody will know it or care about it even a hundred years from now, much less a thousand years from now. But there are things going on that are affecting eternity, and those are important. And the person who's developing is distinguishing between them, what's important and eternal and what's temporary and really relatively unimportant. Uh, and he said, uh, you younger, verse 5, submit yourselves to the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Say that phrase out loud, clothed with humility. Now, why would he say clothed? Because it's something you put on. Something you put on. Doesn't the scripture say more than once? Talk about putting on things. Put on the new man. Right? Put on the garment of praise. Well, put on. And that doesn't, now that doesn't mean pretend. That's a modern vernacular thing. He's not talking about that, but he's talking about the, this is not automatic. This is not something God does for us. We must put on and be clothed with humility. Before you'll do that, you have to see the importance of it. There's a lot of folks in the Christian world, they assent that humility is an important good thing, but they really personally are not desirous of it because they think wrongly that it is weakness. And they were trained in unscriptural proverbs about not being anybody's doormat and like not letting anybody run over you and being your own man, being your own woman. And, and uh, <laughs> I mean, where I grew up in the deep south, one of our sayings was, we're poor, but we're proud. And like I've said before, God will deliver you from both conditions. <laughs> if, if, if you will, or if you're willing to change. And see, our thinking was we didn't have much, but at least we had our pride. <laughs> Is that okay? Huh? <laughs> I was talking to a well-known minister I won't call his name, but uh, uh, he, he heard some of my teaching on this subject. He said, now, Brother Keith, you talk like there is no good pride. But, you, but I've always talked about, you know, there's good pride and there's bad pride. That you, you know, you're proud to be an American. You're proud of your kids. And he said, I, I, isn't that right? I said, no. <laughs> he said, huh? <laughs> no. God hates pride. Have you read the scripture or not? Why? Pride is the nature of the devil. It's one of the worst things you could ever yield to. Somebody says, well, I'm, I don't care what you say. I'm proud of my kids. 
Well, what about the Bible? What about the Bible? Listen to this. When, when Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan and he came up out of the river and the Spirit of God came on him, what did the Father say? This is my beloved son and I am so proud of him. Huh? 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 Mm-mm. Did he ever say he was proud of him or of you either? No, and he never will. He hates pride. If he hates it, we should hate it. And if you don't, it's because you don't understand what it is. You can be thankful for your children and for your country. You can be pleased. You can come, come y'all with me. But when you get to, when you're talking about, I'm so proud of my kids, well, whose kids are they? So you're proud of yourself and what you have produced. <laughs> it ain't okay. It ain't okay. And you keep here talking about my, my boy, my girl. My, see, a lot of emphasis on you. Come on, can you see that? You can be pleased. You can be thankful. You can be a lot of things, but pride should not be one of them. And, and this takes mind renewal because we've been taught wrong. We've grown up wrong. Even heard wrong things in church. Which is why you've got to examine everything in light of this word. Is that right? Everything. You younger, submit yourself to the elder, all of you, be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Why? For God resists the proud. Now, if you didn't know anything else, you, that's enough reason, right? To avoid pride, whatever you got to do. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Does everyone get the grace of God? It's a little quiet, isn't it? Huh? Hmm? You can fail of the grace of God. Didn't the scripture say that? Hmm. No. Do, do the proud get the grace of God as much as the humble. You'd have to contradict this scripture to say that. What do the proud get? Resisted. Not only, now, the, the, the word grace, it's a real popular word in, in our generation, and, and, and part of that's good, but grace basically means gift. I mean, there's all kind of definitions, but Everything that God has done for us, has given us, he's done it on a gift basis, hasn't he? And when you say it's by his grace, you could say it's because of him being gracious, right? Because of him being kind. The Bible says you're saved by grace, through faith, not of yourselves, Right? Not of works. So that that's helps define grace. What does that mean? Everything that God has done for us and given us, we did not deserve it. 
we, we have not earned it. Are y'all with me? And so you got to watch about this word deserve. Keep an, keep an ear out for that. Hmm? I, I noticed this some years ago in my own life. I, I realized I, 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 I'd got to make a change in my thinking. I don't deserve what he has done for me. And I need to keep that in my thinking always. I've had people try to tell you, you know, when something good happened for you, they try to say, well, you know, y'all work hard, you know, you deserve it. I won't immediately say, uh-uh. But I usually don't try to correct people because they don't always want to hear that. But in, if they could hear inside myself, I'm saying, no, I don't. I know I don't. And that's, that's what's important. Why? I get to enjoy it. Because he's gracious, he's good, but not because I deserve it. It's not true. And then a lot of these people, on the other hand, people want to say, well, something's not going good for them. And they say, well, what did I ever do to deserve this? Like what? Like everything you have done only merits good? <laughs> ah. <laughs> the answer is you've done plenty. To deserve all kind of problems. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. You don't want to talk about what you deserve. No you don't. And here's, the, here's one of the biggest problems. If you think God owes you something. You have made it impossible for him to be gracious to you. Now that's a significant phrase. You want to think about is that true or not? Is that true or not? If you think God owes you something, and when you, when you analyze it, there's a lot of people that's upset with God. A lot of people have quit going to church, quit praying, quit reading their Bible. Even some folks that are going to church, still secretly, they're just, they're kind of half mad at God and have been for years. Because of something that they prayed that didn't happen or something they tried to do or tried to believe for that didn't come to pass. So what does that mean? That means they think God owed that to them. Can you see that? And that makes it impossible for him to be gracious to you. That's true with other people as well. If you think other people owe you something, even if they did it, you wouldn't even be thankful. You think it's owed to you. Come on, can you see that? So you've made it impossible for them to give you something and be gracious to you because you don't see it as a gift. And man, if you do that with God, you get resisted. Not helped. You get resisted. The grace of God is all of his, everything he's given, including his help. Who gets it? Come on, help me out. Who, who gets it? James talks about he gives more grace. Grace is wonderful. Grace is help. Grace is strength. 
Grace is knowledge. Grace is understanding. Grace is favor. Grace with enough grace, you can get through anything. With enough grace, you can overcome anything. You can overcome any habit. I don't care if you've had it for 40 years. With enough grace, you can overcome it and be done with it. With enough grace, you can receive miracles bigger than you ever imagined before. With enough grace. But who gets, who gets the grace though? Who? Who? Not everybody. Not everybody. The humble. The humble. And if you understand this, you get really interested in humility. <laughs> you begin to think, oh Lord, teach me about this. You know what humility is? It's being like the master. It is Christ-likeness. That's exactly what it is. Jesus said, come learn about me. Didn't he say that? And of all the things he could have said. Right? He's pure. He's life. He's peace. He's joy. He's submission. He... Obedience, he faith. Oh, he's faith. He he's love, right? He he's all these things. But the phrase when he said, "You want to learn about me? You want to learn about who I am? I'm meek. I'm meek. I'm humble. I'm I'm meek." Is that does that have anything to do with being weak? It actually takes a lot more strength to be humble than it does to be proud. <laughs> being proud is being weak. Hmm? Being proud. You know, some of the worst experiences that people have in this life are when others find out about their shortcomings <laughs> Right? Are there mistakes? Right? Or that they hid something or they misrepresented something. And the thing that caused you so much pain and angst is what? What is hurting you so bad? Huh? Uh-huh. That's it. That's not like the master. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our camp, like Pastor was saying, faith camp, and we are the household of faith. Yes, we are. Uh, But we've had some issues. We've been around long enough now to even develop our own traditions. (laughs) It's true. It's true. (laughs) And, you know, I've I love our camp. I, I love our company. I'm forever thankful to learn about this. But uh, there's some wrong thinking. And there's been some, a lot of angst and vexation and torment about people thinking, I don't have faith. Or what will people think if it doesn't work? You hear all that response? <laughs> hmm? Yeah. 
Man, what if it doesn't happen? You know, and what if, uh, what if I don't, I don't receive that or, or, you know, I'm a preacher. I preach faith. Huh? That's a problem. I said, that's a problem. Because what the enemy's doing many times is setting you up so that he can work condemnation on you later. He'll do his best to trick you and fool you into trying to believe for something you shouldn't be trying to believe for. So that he can condemn you afterwards. This can last for decades and just get worse and worse. Keep, keep reading and you'll see what goes with humility. We've pulled this verse out many times, but look at it in context now. Clothe, uh, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Very next verse, verse 6. Humble yourself, therefore under the mighty hand of God. To truly worship, you have to do this. You can't be haughty and truly worship. Hmm? What we were doing just a few minutes ago, if you're really sincere and focused on him, there's nothing haughty about that. You're acknowledging how big he is, right? And how great he is. And in doing so, you're taking your place under him as to how much you don't know compared to how much he knows, right? And how little you are compared to how big he is and how dependent on him we are. Living by faith makes you independent of relying on man. And that's wonderful. That's liberating. Hallelujah. One of the things I've enjoyed so much is that uh, I don't have to depend on any man or woman or institution as my source. Which means I don't have to beg anybody for anything. Hallelujah. <laughs> but I am completely dependent on God. Somebody say completely dependent. Completely dependent. And some in our circles, and I've made mistakes too. I, anybody that's walked in this walk for very long, especially in your youth and ignorance, uh, you, a number in our circles have learned some faith principles. They've learned faith comes by hearing, right? Uh, that the words of your mouth matter. You can release faith through saying. And when you pray, you believe that you receive it. You'll have it. Walk by faith, not by sight. Right? Uh, don't be moved. Call those things that be not as though they were. And that's all right. That's all right. But you cannot successfully separate it from communion with Him and being led by the Spirit every hour of every day. 
Church, did you hear that last thing? I didn't say you couldn't separate it because a lot of people have. I said successfully. You can't separate those successfully. You can't. You, you, you're dependent on him. Listen to, listen to how Jesus talked. I didn't come down from heaven to do my own will, but only the will of him that sent me. I, I always do those things that please him. I, I always just say what I hear him say, and I do what I see him do. I can, of my own self, not do anything. I can, of my own self, do nothing. Did Jesus say that? Did he say that? Is that humility? Yeah, it is. Is it humility? Well, the servant's not above his master. We, we'd have to operate the same way to get results. And so there's been a lot of presumption. Presumption. Anybody know what presumption is? Uh, scripture talked about unfeigned faith. Well, what's unfeigned faith? Faith that's not feigned. Feign means pretend. There is a pretend faith. Has to be, or there couldn't be a not pretend. <laughs> you wouldn't need to talk about a not pretend. There's a pretend faith. And uh, if you remember that when uh, God delivered his people out of Egyptian bondage, and uh, they got to the point where the bulk of them believed the wrong report, and they all cried in their tents and said, we can't do it, there's no way, we're all going to die out here. And, and so the Lord was very displeased with them because ten different times they had done this. Uh, Consecutively, they, they had seen miracles. They had experienced deliverance. And then next thing come up, they just totally doubt and fear and fall. This had happened ten times in a row. How many understand after God does miracle after miracle after miracle for you, at some point, you should quit this wavering, right? Huh? And you should be quick to believe. You can say, hey, he's come through for me the last 383 times. Is that right? What's going to happen? He's going to come through again. I trust you, Lord. I'm, I'm here. I'm full on, full in, fully persuaded. And so then the Lord told him what was going to happen to him. Okay, then. Turn around. Go into the wilderness. And all of you are going to die out there. Nobody's going to make it past 70 or 80 except for Joshua and Caleb because they had a different spirit and they believed what God said. Well, then that really upset them. That didn't sound good. So then they said, no, we're going to go. We're going to go now. <laughs> You'll find a, a contrariness. Unbelief is not as innocent as many have thought. There is an ignorance of, un, of unbelief, unbelieving just because of un, ignorance. 
But there's also an unpersuadable unbelief. And that is no matter how many times you show them, they're not going to believe. No matter, no matter how much they see, no matter how much they hear, they're still, well, I'll think about that. We'll see. And the truth is, you could show them another 400 times and it's still going to be the same thing. And so when the Lord would say, you know, go out and pick up the manna, uh, then they're hesitant and argue about that. Don't go out today. Then they go out on that day. Is that right? (laughs) And I mean, he'd say, do something, they'd do the opposite. Well, he'd change it now and then they'd do the opposite. So he said, go up and take the land. He said, no, we can't go. He said, so don't. Go in the wilderness. He said, no, we're going now. (laughs) Now we're laughing, but don't laugh too hard because... The Bible said they're examples that we're to take heed about. And so I won't take time to to go back and look at it, but they said, no, we're here. We're going up. And they were making faith confessions. Hmm? And if you didn't know better and you didn't hear the previous parts, you'd say, well, man, that's good, solid faith. We're going to go up and we're going to take it and we're going to do this. The problem is the Lord's already told them to do something else. Which is why you cannot, you must not separate faith principles from actively hearing from God. Every day and every night. And you must not assume and you must not presume, and we must not fill in the blanks. We need to hear from him. Every day, we need to know what, and where, and who, and when, and how. Come on, y'all with me? Do not fit, don't, don't get what, and then fill in the rest of the blanks. On your own, you'll have problems, you'll have trouble. What did the scripture say? In all your ways, acknowledge him. In what? In what? How much is that? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Well, if he's directing your paths, you're going to wind up at the right place at the right time. It's going to go good. And if it doesn't, (laughs) then don't Say, well, I'm a faith man. Yeah. I was in faith. <laughs> That's not being humble. Y'all with me or not? <laughs> when I first started helping at Brother uh, Kenneth Hagin Sr.'s ministry in uh, 1981, I was working on the first parts of the prayer and healing center. And... Uh, I was on the phones for a while uh, with phone, people calling in prayer requests. And we also were doing some counseling at that time. Later on, the Lord told Brother Hagin he didn't tell him to do that. So, <laughs> And the very next morning, they took counseling off the front of the building. I mean, the letters came <laughs> off. Brother Hagin would open. When he heard from God, that's it. And uh, anyway, 
a lady called, and she was from a large city up in the northeast, and she was hysterical. I mean, I, I'd been doing this about three months, green as could be. And this was, uh, what was this, 20, almost 20 years ago. And, and so, uh, um, oh, it was longer than that. Dear me, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it was maybe 38 years or something like that. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> y'all are keeping track of me pretty closely. <laughs> I appreciate the help. Um, she's hysterical. And in between sobs and everything, I understood she had just been mugged. Some gay who uh, hit her in the head, grabbed her purse, and run off. And when she finally quit heaving and crying and sobbing, she said, but I, you know, I, I confess the 91st Psalm over myself almost every day. I'm a believer. Why did this happen and how did this happen to me? It's quiet in here. Uh, and I thought to myself, I, Lord, what do I tell her? So I'm listening, but inside me I'm checking. I said, Lord, do you know we, we don't need to try to give people answers when the Lord hadn't given us something, given us something. Don't, don't be too quick. Again, that's pride. Yeah. Trying to act like you know everything. Yeah. You got to an answer for everything. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times you need to tell folks, I, I, I don't have it right now. Let, let me pray about this. I'll, I'll believe with you. Let's look. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Instead of just trying to do something off the top of your head or right. some standard thing. Yeah. Are we reliant on the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Why did he give us yeah. the comforter, right. the guide, the helper? Because we need him. And so uh, I asked the Lord, what, what can I tell her? How can I help her? And you know, uh, the scripture said, follow after love and desire the gifts and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And many times in situations like that, you actually need a manifestation of the Spirit. You need a word of knowledge. You need a word of wisdom. You need some of these things. And uh, they, they can come so naturally and so quickly in the blink of an eye, but it's something you didn't think of, something you didn't learn. It was just revealed to you, just given to you. And so just faster than you could do that, I realized the, the Lord quickened to me, ask her what led up to it, what happened earlier in the day. So I did. And that's all I know to do. I'm taking a step. And so uh, what you don't do is minister any condemnation. She's already upset, right? What if she did mess up somewhere? I have too. You have too, right? She doesn't need any more issues. She's upset enough as it is. We're not looking to lay blame or to fix blame, we're looking to fix a problem. So she said, well, uh, uh, well, what I actually said, I said, well, uh, did you need to go there? What was going on that day? You had some business? And she, and it got, she got quiet. And she says, well, no. 
In fact, she said, I had a real check about going. <laughs> but I just confessed the 91st Psalm. Did I dwell in the secret place of the Most High? Well, see, that sounds like faith. And that is what faith sounds like. But you must not try to separate faith principles from what? Being led by the Spirit. Go with me to Hebrews 11. Man, you guys listen good. Tell you what. You are, you are listening good. Hebrews 11. In verse 29, now this is the faith chapter, isn't it? This is the faith chapter. And every verse, you're seeing something unique about faith. Or else otherwise the verse wouldn't be in there. There's like, like seeing different facets of a diamond. You're seeing different sides and different parts and ways of faith. Faith is big, many-sided, wonderful thing. And it said by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. The King James says assay. You could say attempting or trying. Trying. So what was the problem? I don't know exactly what they said, but the leaders at least must have believed if they can do it, we can do it. They just saw them do it. Right? But why could the Israelites do it, but the Egyptians couldn't do it? Didn't make it. Why? How does, let's, let's come back to faith 101. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. Which means you can only have faith in God based on what he told you. And this is where a lot of folks have gotten off because I'm going to believe for this and I'm going to believe for that and I'm going to believe the other. Did you talk to the Lord about this? Have you heard from him? I'm going to believe that this happens. Based on what? That's what presumption is. It's believing based on nothing. That was worth you combing your hair and coming out tonight. <laughs> huh? Right there. I didn't come up with that. The Lord gave me that. <laughs> Believing based on nothing. What do you mean? And, and the Lord's quickened to me a few years back in our circle, in our camp. You hear this all the time. I, I'm, I'm believing for this. I'm believing for that. I'm just going to believe for you for this. And I'm you are? Really? How much of this is happening? How much of this is really coming to pass? Huh? 
Is the word really just produce 50-50 results? The Lord gave me this phrase some years ago. He said, Keith, the more selective you'll be, the more effective you'll be. In what you pray, in what you say, don't be overly quick to say, I'm going to believe for this. Hmm? Or even agreeing with somebody else. There are times, it's uncomfortable, it's a little bit awkward, but there are times you need to let people know, no, I don't have that in my heart. Well, you're not going to believe with me on this? Uh, I'm not saying God can't do it. I'm not saying you can't believe for it. But if you're asking me to believe with you, I got to be fully persuaded about it. Right? Or elsewise, we're just playing religious games, going through the motion here. And when you pray something and it doesn't happen, it hurts your faith. And when you say things and it doesn't come to pass, it hurts your faith. And when you do that and do that and do that, and the last 10 times you said it and nothing happened, what do you think you're expecting on number 11? It's a problem. You get to where. If you'd be more selective, you'll be more effective. Hallelujah. So the Lord quickened to me, watch when you say that, I'm believing for. Are you? And ask yourself this question, based on what? Believe with me for this. People say, based on what? Based on what? Somebody says, well, the word. It's a big book. Right? What, what are you talking about? Right? And it needs to be quickened to you by the Spirit. In fact, that's what Romans 10, 17, my understanding, looking at the words, is what it actually says. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, the word is rhema and Christ. And rhema uh, includes the spoken word and Christ is the anointed. Do you hear that? And so it is the anointed word the quickened word, it's the word that the Lord speaks to you about that situation. Is that how the Lord operated? Huh? Did he say, I only say what I hear the Father say. I only do what I see him do. I can of my own self do nothing. So Jesus didn't say, I've got faith principles under my belt. I can do anything. I can believe for anything. I can, uh-uh, no, uh-uh. See, that's some haughtiness. That's some pride. And the pride doesn't get to help. And the pride can, you, you get in a place where you're trying to prove something to somebody else. You're trying to show somebody else what the will of God really is or how much faith you have or all this. That's a recipe for going down. And then the enemy was trying to set you up the whole time because he wants to beat your head in afterwards. 
We've all come short on some things. We've all made some mistakes. And, and some of them were just lack of understanding, just ignorance, and some of them were worse than that. Some of them were just hard-headed, won't listen, presumption, assuming. And the Lord still loves us anyway. He still, there are, in fact, I actually saw this in the spirit one time praying about some folks. There's been a, a bunch of people. In fact, it, it mentions it right here in Hebrews 11 about people that didn't see some things they were believing for before they passed on. Didn't it talk about that? And I know there's a lot of people that have, they left early or in the middle, didn't receive everything they were believing for, and, and uh, I just know that when they got out of the body and, and their angel ex escorted them to, to be with the Lord, and they saw the Lord, and they said, Lord, I was believing best I knew how. He'd say, I know, baby, come here, come here, come here. <laughs> I know. I've had people say, well, well, what if I'm trying to believe God and I die? I said, well, you don't want to die any other way than believe in God. Is that right? You don't, you don't want to die any other way. You live by faith and you die by faith. And I'm, I'm just sure that for many, many years after we're in glory with the Lord, just ever so often we'll go, oh, <laughs> oh. That's why that didn't work. Oh, no wonder. Oh, but right now we see in part. We see through a glass dimly and darkly and shaded. And the Lord knows that. And so he's looking at our heart. There's so much imperfection in understanding, but he's looking at your heart. But in order to please him, Certainly faith is a part, but faith, real faith cannot be separated from grace and humility. Can't be. Because another word for faith is trust. Right? And you have to humble yourself to acknowledge, I can't do this on my own. I can't produce this. I can't make this happen. I'm dependent on him. Well, now the only, only way you can legitimately say you're dependent on him to do something is when he told you he would do that. If you're just saying, I'm going to believe for this, and he didn't tell you, that's why we got so many discouraged folks. So why is it that the Egyptians weren't successful in their attempt to follow and duplicate what they saw these folks did because they did it in faith. The Lord told Moses what to do. He stretched his rod out. The wind blew. The miracle happened. And then the Lord said, go. Go right through. And so Moses led and they all followed. It took faith to follow. Right? I mean, you got a wall of water Straight up on both sides. This is something nobody has ever heard of before or seen. And they did it. You know why they could have faith to do that? 
He told them. Is that right? He told them to go. Didn't he? So they can have faith based on that. They got solid ground. It's just like when the Lord told Peter, uh, come. Peter said, if that's you, bid me to come. And the Lord said, come. Could Peter have had faith to walk on the water without the Lord telling him to come? No. No. It'd be based on what? I'm just going to believe that I'm going to do that. Based on what? Based on what? You find that in the very definition in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance. That word can be translated foundation. It's what you're standing on. Faith is standing on something. What's it standing on? Thus saith the Lord. That's it. Now why couldn't the Egyptians do that? They tried it. They tried it. And they got halfway in. <laughs> and they all drowned. Why? Well, what did he tell them? Did he tell them to go across? Yeah, he told them, let my people go. <laughs> so what could they have faith for? To let them go. That's the only thing they could legitimately. Now we're laughing, but it, took, it would have been faith. Because their economy was based on the slave labor. Right? Which is why they're out there trying to get them back. After the country was brought to its knees by all those plagues. And they let them go out of fear and desperation. And they still got the army together and went to go get them back. Desperate. Fearful. But when the Lord said, let my people go could they, if they had chosen to, had faith that they'd be okay? Is that right? Without them, because he told them, let them go. They could have, but they chose not to. They tried to act on the word God gave to somebody else while ignoring the word he gave them. And they all drowned. They all drowned. And it was such a catastrophe. We're still talking about today. All these centuries later. (laughs) Oh, somebody say praise God. Thank you, Lord, for light. Thank you for truth. Thank you for help. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Go with me, if you would, to Mark, the 10th chapter. Mark chapter 10. In our first passage that we read, he said, humble yourself. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. In due time. Well, I moved too quick. Go back to go back to First Peter. You this will register on you better. You put your eyes on it. First Peter five, 
Then we'll go to the other, I think. First Peter 5, verse 5. He had said, be clothed with humility. Uh, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. James said a similar thing, you remember. Then he said, humble yourselves under, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Many are haughty because of lack of faith. They are not turning loose of things and trusting God to do it for a lack of faith in him. Still trying to do it themselves, which is a pride they don't recognize. And he said, humble yourself under the what? The what? Mighty hand of God. Is his hand mighty? Oh. If you, if you want to learn about God's power, don't read theology books. Look up in the night sky. Huh? Look at the Pacific Ocean. Look at the mountain ranges. That's him. I said, that's him. Look up into the night sky. All of those are stars. And we can't see but a fraction of them. What kind of power does it take to upheld, uphold all those things by his word? He didn't just create it. He sustains it every millisecond. I mean, if God's word failed, gravity would stop. The fusion in the sun would stop. I mean, mighty hand. And when we have that more of that eternal perspective, it makes what we're dealing with down here at the moment look so trivial and so small. Hmm? But you, uh, so many times folks are exalting the problem. They're talking about how big it is how bad it is, and if you listen to too much news, you, you won't be able to help but be that way. Your faith in the problem will be highly fed and developed. <laughs> more and more, I've had to turn stuff off. Hmm? I mean, once you, you know a little bit something about what's going on, you don't need to hear about it another 500 times. Come on, y'all with me just. Why? Because what I'm focusing on is the mighty hand of God. God can do things. I like the phrase that, you know, they, uh, the religious leaders told Jesus, they, that, or they talked about him. They said, he's casting out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And and Jesus said, if I cast them out by the finger of God, who do your sons, how are they doing it? Finger of God. Not the hand. Not the arm. Finger. What does that show? Jesus would tell demons, shut up, come out. And the Holy Spirit would go. <laughs> 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 
Finger. Finger. That's the truth. Never, never has the Holy Spirit struggled with demon or a million demons. Ever. Ain't no struggle. That's why when you find out who you are and you resist the devil, ain't no struggle. They flee. That's it. That's it. They flee. Why? They can't deal with him. There's nothing they can do to deal with him. Another thought along that line. Somebody said, what, what about when he, God really exerted his power? It was when he raised Jesus from the dead. God rolled up his sleeve. What do you mean? It was the exceeding greatness of his power when he raised him from the dead. That was the arm of God. Why? Because when he raised him, he raised all of us. Free from sin for eternity. And it's already done. We have received it. Hallelujah. Not everybody has, but we have. Glory to God. Somebody say, I'm saved. I'm saved. That means you will never die. Didn't say your body would function forever, but you will never die. Because the Lord has already tasted death for you. So you won't even taste it. You won't even taste death when you die. It'll probably be a few minutes before you even realize that your body is dead. You'll probably be out of it for a bit. You'll just realize how good you feel. <laughs> and then you're liable to look over and see your body and go, whoa. Didn't know I was that old. <laughs> and then you'll go, I feel good. Ooh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But God has already bought that for us. He's already paid for it. That was the exceeding greatness of his power. He went on to say, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may what? Exalt you in due time. Now Jesus talked about this. He about those that exalted themselves would be abased. And those that humble themselves would be exalted. The word exalt means to lift high or to, to elevate. And so what you see is, well, how can this be so? God will exalt you. He's not opposed to your being exalted. He's opposed to you doing it. He's opposed to you promoting yourself. Hmm? Exalting yourself. Putting yourself forward. That means you don't trust him to do it. Whether ignorance or some other thing. But notice the very next verse. The very next verse is what? Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you this is the way to being worry free 
to not fretting, to not being scared. What? Humbling yourself under his mighty hand. Now see, that's people a lot of times don't think that. Humility will make you free from worry. They go together. How many saw verse 6 came before verse 7? Right? Verse 6, humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God, counting on him to exalt me, lift me. Right? Counting on him to do it relieves me from counting on myself. Can you see how that sets you up perfect? To cast all your cares over on him. Can you see that or not? Set you up perfect. And so much of the angst and torture that we have gone through has been because of this dependence on ourselves. Trying to make something happen that you can't. Trying to do something that's too big for you. I'm going to say, well, I'm, I'm believing to do it. Based on what? Hmm? Based on what? What the Lord say to you about, well, I don't know that he said anything. Well, you're not ready to believe anything. Need to seek him. Need to ask him. Need to acknowledge him. Lord, what, what do we do on this? Jesus said, I can of my own self do nothing. Should you say that? Would it be okay for you to say that? No, 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 no. I can do all things. Don't leave off the rest of the verse. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> you can do all things through Christ. And that's the only way. Well, through Christ involves hearing from him, working with him. He's the one enabling and helping you to do it, but he's not obligated to back every idea you come up with or to fund every project you come up with. But when you hear from him, you don't have to plead with him to support it. It was his idea. <laughs> right? His ideas come pre-funded. All you got to do is start walking it out, and here it'll come. Here it will come. Don't have to beg. Don't have to plead. Just start doing what he told you to do, and here it'll come. Here it'll come. Now, you also need to obey him when he tells you to sow. Right? Because then he's setting you up for something he's about to tell you to do. Right? It all, it all works together. But how can you see it? Can you see every one of these things is inseparable from hearing from him on a regular basis? There's no coincidence that the ministry we learned so much about faith from was also the ministry we learned about how to be led by the Spirit from. And you don't find those things just everywhere. Have you found how rare it is to hear original you know, understanding and revelation about how to be led by the Spirit of God? I mean, it's, it's rare. 
If you've been around these camps, it may not seem rare to you. Some of you even grew up with it, but I'm telling you, outside these camps, folks will look at you like, what are you talking about? Because much of the body of Christ believes that everything that happens is somehow the will of God, which means you don't have to be led. Well, why would the Bible tell you, don't be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is? Well, if everything that's happening is the will of the Lord, you don't need any discernment. And uh, get, get renewed in, in your mind so that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and will of God. Well, if it's all the will of God, you don't need any discretion and discernment. It's just all the will of God. But it's not. Notice the key between humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God and then casting all your cares over on Him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And I see why the Lord quickened me about that because now I need to go to a different verse. Uh, have you got a little bit more time? Yes, sir. Thank you, Lord. Go to Matthew, the, the 10th chapter. Matthew 10 and verse 42. Praise be to God. One of the principal things that I have in my spirit about this tonight is that the Lord loves us. He loves you. And he does not want you in angst and anxiety and upset about your faith, about your not receiving something about you not accomplishing something that you, you had in mind. This is a trick of the enemy because condemnation is the confidence killer. Confidence is another word for faith. The confidence that we have in him. It's our faith. And First John talks about this, that if our heart condemns us not, then... We have confidence toward God. Whatever we ask, we receive of Him. But what if your heart is condemning you? Then you won't have confidence. See, it's, it's condemnation is the confidence killer. It's why uh, the enemy works so hard to tempt, to trick, to deceive. He's not just trying to get you to mess up so he can say, goody, goody, see there, got you, got you. There's a lot more going on. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, why did it happen then? Wasn't he just as much the son of God when he was 15? Huh? 18? 25? 28? I mean, why, why not before? Many, many other opportunities. Why now? Because it was only just now when he was baptized in the river and the Spirit came on him. Come on, can you see this? The Holy Spirit came on him in a bodily shape and form as a dove. What is that? He had the Spirit on him now and working through him, the Scripture said, without measure. 
he, he was the entire body of Christ <laughs> on the earth at that time. He was the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. He's all of it. With all the gifts and manifestations of the Spirit, except for tongues and interpretation, all operating through him. Nobody today is the apostle. You might be an apostle or a prophet, or, but you know, you're not the. There's only one the. The apostle. The sent one. The prophet. And why now? Why now? Because the enemy saw it. They saw it in the spirit. And it terrified them. All this power. Because what does the anointing do? Does anybody remember any scriptures? What does it do? Whose yokes? <laughs> it removes burdens. Whose burdens and whose yokes? Yokes that he put on people sometimes took decades to get them in the shape that they're in. Right? And the anointing can shatter them in a moment of time. Just destroy and undo 40 years of devil's work in a person's life. And the, and the enemy saw and all his demon cohorts saw all his power come on him. And they're like, oh man, if he starts letting that loose, it's just going to devastate us on the left and right. And you can tell us the way it was because next thing, when he came out of there, he goes into the synagogue. A spirit cries right out and says, oh, have you come to hurt us? Have you come to torment us before the time and a time and a time? What are they terrified of? You don't hear anything about that five years before, ten years before. What? It's all this anointing. It's the anointing. This is the force of the person who hovered over the face of the deep before God spoke and brought continents up and brought. Whew. Ain't no wonder the devil shake. But why this tactic? So what does he do? The enemy begins to tempt. 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 Why? If you're afraid of the anointing, why'd you start tempting? How could that help you? There's no manifestation of the power of God or anointing on a person's life without faith. Without faith, it has to be acted on. You can be called and anointed to preach, but it'll never manifest unless you preach. Is that right? Hmm? You can have a, a strong anointing to minister to the sick, a healing anointing, but it won't manifest unless you what? Minister to the sick. And not just physically do it, but do it in faith. Right? Do it in faith. Romans 12 talks about that according to what you've been called and graced with. Do it according to the measure of faith. What would that do? He wants to get Jesus into condemnation. If he can, if he can get him to yield to sin and violate his own conscience and violate what the Spirit of God is showing and saying to him, 
He can take away this confidence because at this point, Jesus has zero lack of confidence. He had zero insecurity because he has zero sin and he has zero condemnation. He has zero guilt, zero shame. All he's got is full confidence. Full faith, and the enemy knows if he steps out in that kind of faith with that anointing on him, it's just going to blow them out of the water everywhere he goes. So, what do you got to do? You got you can't do anything as as the enemy. You can't do anything with the anointing. You can't stop that. What do you got to do? You got to try to get the fuse away, mixing faith with the power. Is what causes the release and manifestation. Faith is the fuse. <laughs> if he can steal the fuse, then there's nothing to set off all of this. Hmm? I just said all that to say that's his continual approach to all of us to get us in some degree of guilt, condemnation. Why? Because it absolutely robs you of your confidence. And no matter what kind of call you got on you or what kind of anointings on your life, without that confidence, you won't step out into it. And without stepping out into it, you won't see any manifestation of it. Someone says, yeah, but I'm not like the master. He never missed it. I have missed it. Do you remember the blood? Do, Do you... That's why he came. What about the blood? Receiving the cleansing of the blood and the righteousness of Christ makes you as though you had never sinned. Makes it possible for you to walk in the confidence he walked in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Even though he was sinless and you have not been, he gave you his sinless righteousness. Brother Hagin said uh, in that vision, I guess this was this 1950 Rockwall tent vision. He said uh, when he, when the Lord called him, come up here and he came up he said uh, at one point for the first time he looked at the master's face he could describe the Lord's hair color and, and length and everything he said people would say what does he look like and he said well, the most outstanding feature he said is his eyes his eyes He's, and he said it doesn't, it doesn't describe it but they looked like wells of living love. Looked like you could look down into them a mile deep, you know. Real soon you're going to see them. If you live another 50, 75 years, it's going to go by so quick, you're going to see them. And he said when he, the first time he looked toward his face, he was just overwhelmed. And he just fell. He said he fell before him. And he said he saw the Lord's feet, and they were bare, and he saw the, the, the hold 
that the, the spike made. And he said he just cried with his face to the ground and said, Lord, nobody as unworthy as I should look on your face. I'm Brother Hagin's good man. Not a perfect, but a good man. And you'd, you'd feel that way in the presence of such perfection and such holiness. Right? He said, Lord, no, nobody as unworthy as I should look on your face. He said, the Lord said, get up. Get up. And he said, he, he didn't think about not getting up. He, <laughs> he got up. He said, the Lord, that looked, Lord looked at him and said, I have made you worthy to look on my face. First time I heard that, it just burned in my spirit. Does that do anything for you? I have made you worthy. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You never could. Never would have been able to. Which is why Jesus had to go get it and buy it and pay for it. And then give it to you. But you had enough sense to receive it. Hallelujah. You had enough sense to receive it. But now you should not let anything come out of your mouth about being unworthy. Because that's acting like what he did didn't accomplish it. Everybody in this place said out loud, he has made me worthy. The Lord has made me worthy to be with him, to fellowship with him, to look on his holy face. He has made me worthy. Ooh. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. If you believe that, that rids you of the guilt and the shame. I had a man look at me one time. He said, yeah, but preacher, you don't know what I've done. I said, yeah, and you don't know how powerful the blood is. I don't, I don't have more faith in what you've done than I do in the blood. The blood is more powerful than anything you've done. Anything, yes, sir. anything yes, sir. you've done or how many times you did it. Yeah. And here's the thing. You're either forgiven or you're not. You're either clean or you're not. You're either made righteous or you're not. If you acknowledge, you confess, and you receive your forgiveness... And you receive by faith the cleansing and washing of the blood. And you receive his righteousness that he has so freely given to you. Then is it true that your sins and iniquities he doesn't even remember anymore? And they won't won't be mentioned to you again? And the father doesn't even see them? Your sins, it's not like the Old Testament. Your sins and mine are not covered. They're not covered. They're washed away. They're washed away. The blood of animals couldn't do that. That's why he still had to come. His is the only blood. It's the only blood in all time and eternity that was perfect enough and valuable enough and strong enough to buy all of us and do this. And he has done it. He has done it. 
He has done it. Have you received it? So if you mess up, you make a mistake. He wants you, he doesn't want you to pretend like you didn't. No, he wants you to acknowledge it. He wants you to come to him and talk to him about it. He wants you to tell him that you know this is not what to do and you're making a commitment to make a change and, and then you should receive. I said you should receive. Hallelujah. We sing about it. The blood will never lose its power. Hallelujah. It's always available. The life and the efficacy and the cleansing of all. But you've got to receive it. So you, you, you need to acknowledge and say, Lord, I, I messed up on this. That's wrong. I knew better or I knew I should have. I call it what it is. It's sin. It's wrong. And I know you're willing to forgive me. I know you've already paid the price, but I receive now forgiveness. Now, now people try to say, nah, Brother Keith, that's, you don't understand grace. You sure it's me that don't understand it? The Lord already paid for everything, past, present, and future. So people say, well, so I, I don't need to do anything. It's already done. Mm, that doesn't free you from your own condemnation. It has been done. It is finished. It is completed. But when you violate light, your own heart will condemn you. Not the Holy Spirit. I said, not the Holy Spirit, not Jesus, not the Father, but your own heart will. So how do you fix that? Not by pretending you didn't miss it. Sure, the pride of your flesh wants to act like you never make a mistake and like you never need to do anything. It's a way not to humble yourself, to avoid Yes, it's already been done. Yes, it's already been paid for. But if it's all based on what's been done, and that's the only parameter, then everybody will be saved. Every human being that's ever lived will be saved. And that's not what the Bible says. It's not what Jesus said. What do you mean? Why are you saying, brother? They have to receive it. They got to receive it. They got to believe it, and they got to receive it. And that's true with us throughout our entire life. If, if my heart's condemning me, how do I fix that? Same way you got saved. Now you're not trying to get saved again, but you receive your cleansing. You receive the washing. You receive the righteousness. And you believe that you are made clean by the blood. And when you do, your guilt goes. Your condemnation goes. And your heart ceases to condemn you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if you'll just keep walking in the light, it, it won't condemn you. I'm going a little bit longer, but what do you think? Can, can we take a little bit more? Or you, have you had plenty? It's just, just one night, so. Uh, we hadn't been to Mark 10 yet, have we? Go to Mark 10. Now I realize if you, if you say, well, I have had enough, you, you can go. I won't be upset. And I, I know people got to get up early and go to work and all that. But, but you don't want to miss something that could help you either. It could change things for you. Mark 10 and 42. 
The Lord does not want us walking in any measure or degree of being upset, of being hurt over something, a prayer that wasn't answered, uh, something we tried to believe for that didn't work out the way we wanted it to believe for. Don't let the enemy trick you. Don't let him play you with this. And one of the ways that you that you get your help, tell me who gets the who gets the grace, who gets the help? You got to humble yourself and admit that you've made mistakes. Instead of blaming God. Where was he at? I was doing everything I knew to believe him and and why didn't he do it? They were doing everything they knew and believed. How do you know that? You don't know that. You don't know another person's heart. And we know what is God's highest and best and what his unchanging will for everybody is, but most everybody has come short of receiving that. And walking in the fullness of that. Does that change God's goodness? Does that change his will? Does that change his plan? No. What's the problem? I was just teaching in a faith school recently. And that's an online and a TV thing if you hadn't heard about it. But it was the situation where the man brought his son to the disciples to get delivered. And they failed to do it. Hey, you remember that? Yeah. And uh, so then Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and, and uh, the, the man said, I brought my son to your disciples to get him free and they couldn't do it. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And there's a play on the phrase, the Lord said, if I can do anything, yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all things are possible to him that believes. And prior to that, he said, Oh, faithless. And we'd say, messed up generation. How long will I put up with you? Bear with you. And, and so he said, bring him to me. And they brought the boy to Jesus and he got him free. So the disciples' failure didn't prove it wasn't God's will. And so then after that, at the house, they came to Jesus and they said, why couldn't we cast it out? He said, because of your unbelief. Now see, in our camp, we don't like that. That is too simple of an answer. And we don't like that answer because we're faith people. And that couldn't be the problem. Because we are faith in the morning. Faith at noontime, faith when the sun goes down. So, I mean, it couldn't be unbelief. No Got to be something else. No, way. no, it's just plain old garden variety unbelief. That is the answer to a thousand and one questions about why this didn't happen and that didn't happen and this didn't work out. Unbelief, 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 unbelief. 
amongst faith people. That's the answer. Again and again and again. But if you won't acknowledge that, you can't get help. You got, you got to humble yourself and say, Lord, now I don't know what happened here, but I know you don't miss it. Right? I know you don't miss it. And you don't, you don't, you've never let me down. You've never let anybody down. And you never will. So uh, help show me what I hadn't seen. Reveal it to me. What I haven't understood. Can you see that takes some humility? Can you see that? But to get mad at God and get upset shows pride. And why is the go-to answer, why wasn't God there? Never occurred to you that maybe you didn't do something? The first thing and the only thing you stay on is, where was God? That's pride, right? And if you take a hard line with that, that's why people get more and more bitter over the years, and they just get further and further from God until they completely backslide. Why? Not only are they not getting any help, any grace, they're getting resisted. Nobody can make it like that. You're going down. But if you'll fall on your face, hmm? I know one of one of our teachers at a. Brother Mel Piper is who it was back years ago. I don't know if you know him or not, but uh, we had him at Ramah for uh, Old Testament survey for part of it. And we were dealing with a number of the judgments. And he started off the class by this. He said, now, there'll be a number of things in here that you may not understand. You know why God said this and how it happened like that. Judgments, judgments, judgments. He said, but let me give you a piece of advice. Always. Stay on God's side. Come on. <laughs> just no matter what you understand or don't understand, you're saying, well, I'm with him. I mean, if he, he must have had a good reason. Right? He's, he's right. He's fair. He's right. He's good. You don't have to understand it. That's a choice. But see, if you back off and go, well, now, I just don't understand that. See, this is more than an innocent question. You're questioning his character. Can you see that? And if you're just a baby, baby Christian, he may let some of that stuff slide. But if you've been walking with him for 20 years and you know better, uh, can you see this? No. No. The thing that will get you through the hardest places of life and that will deliver you from that angst and that torture as you fall down and you humble yourself under the mighty. Hallelujah. The mighty hand of God. And you say, Lord, and you may say it, I have before, with tears in my eyes or on my cheeks, and said, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. But I know this. You're faithful. I call you faithful. You are the faithful God. And I trust you in life. I'll trust you in death. 
I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. My soul follows hard after you, Lord. Hallelujah. That that will get you. Can you see what you're doing? If you're, you're humbling yourself, you're bowing yourself before him in your heart and your words, grace flows to the low spot. Can you see that? I'm telling you, immediately grace will start flowing to you. You'll start seeing things. I'm not saying you'll understand it all overnight, but you, you'll, you'll begin to get strength to just make it through to the next day. And, and one thing will lead to the, to the other. But when you start hardening your heart and stiffening your neck and accusing God, you, the flow of grace is off. The flow of help is off. And, and as a minister, we've been pastoring for a number of years now and, and ministry a long time before that. This is the worst place you can get into. Is when you harden your heart and you're not teachable, you're not correctable, you're not willing to acknowledge any mistake, you're not willing to accept any correction, you get in a place where God himself can't help you. Now that sounds like too big of a statement, but it's the truth. Somebody said, well, God could help you in it. No, he, he'd have to violate his word. Can you see? He has the power to do it, but he can't violate his word. He'd have to override your will and take you over. And if he is ever going to do that, he'd make people get saved and miss hell. And if he's not going to do that. He's certainly not going to do that with you on this. But I've, I've had people before look us in the face and go, well, I don't care. This is what I'm going to do. And you think, oh, Lord. And, and what can you say? What can you say? And in every one of those cases, their lives were destroyed. Absolutely destroyed. And it's that unteachableness. I, I, I know when I first started in ministry early on, it was, it was in the healing school all the time. And, and, and I'm, I'm closing, I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, what was it, halfway through Philippians, Paul said, finally, brethren. <laughs> He's he, he just halfway through. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm doing that. But uh, I, uh, I, I was feeding on everything I could about healing and miracles and faith. And, and so we actually had access to old films of A.A. A. Allen and, and William Branham and Oral Roberts and all these guys. And so me and some of the other guys, man, we'd watch those and then we'd go preach and we'd watch and study and and, but over the months and a couple of years, I began to see a number of these folks, they saw miracles I had never seen. They obviously knew some things about faith and the power of God that I didn't know or hadn't experienced yet. And yet a number of them died young, died wrong, were cut off in midlife. And, and, and I began, and my thought was, now, Lord, if they knew some things about you better than I did, and yet they got off, and they were cut off, 
How can I keep from it? I, I must, I dare not think I know more. I can just look and tell that's not true. So how am I going to keep from the same thing happening to me? It began to be a concern for me. I'm not saying that was okay, but I'm, I'm two years into ministry. And, and I began to pray, Lord, how can I keep from getting off? If you think, well, it's because I'm smarter than everybody else, you're already getting off. <laughs> you're, you're, the enemy's already playing you. You don't even realize it. How can I do it? And I had brought up some individuals to him that we had happened to know some information about. And, and um, laying in the floor in the speaker's room, praying about it, the Lord spoke to my heart. It was etched in me when he said it. He said, Keith, your humility is your protection from deception. Pride makes you susceptible to deception. I believe it's Obadiah. It says the pride of your heart has deceived you. Pride is a deceiver. And the thing about being deceived is you don't know you're deceived. Right? If you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. <laughs> and uh, he said that to my heart. Your, your humility is your protection from deception. And then, you know, faster than I could talk, he began to speak to me about because I kept bringing up some of these individuals to him. And he, uh, more than one, he said, I sent people to them to teach them. I sent their elders to them to correct them, to listen to them, and they would not hear it. And he began to minister to me that he loves me and he would help me and that if I began to get off, he would talk to me and show me. And if I'd keep my heart right, that if, if I'm still getting off, he'll turn up the volume. <laughs> and if I'm still getting off, he'll send people across my path and say, hey, Keith. But the issue is, will I listen? Can you see this? Will I listen? Will I be teachable? Will I be correctable? That's talking about humility, isn't it? That's humility. Or with some success and some promotion and what have you, they get to thinking, well, no. Now I know more about hearing from him than, than you do and, and this and that. That's when you get into that place I'm talking about to where the Lord can't help you. Why? Because you're not listening to him. And if you're only the great, only the humble, get the grace, get the help. He said, Keith, if you listen to me, if you listen, you won't get off. I'll hold you. I'll keep you. And then it, it, it dawned on me. I got a revelation like I'd never had it before. God loves Keith. Now, you got to put your name in there. That's my name. you got to put your name. What do you mean, God loves Keith? And then my next one, Revelation, is Keith's going to make it. What do you mean? Keith's going to make it. What do you mean? All the way. Keith is going to make it. Keith is going to run his entire race. Keith is going to finish his course for God. Hallelujah. Keith's going to make it. 
And it's not because Keith is so smart or so amazing. It's because God loves Keith. And Keith is going to listen to God. Keith's going to listen. Keith is going to listen. If Keith falls down, God will pick Keith up. If Keith falls down five times, God will pick Keith up five times. If Keith's not getting it, he'll crank up the volume. He'll go, Keith, you better listen to me, boy. And by the grace of God, I'm going I'm to say, sir, yes, sir. Forgive me, right? Teach me. Help me. I am willing to change. And if you've been wrong, you need to say it. I was wrong about that. I, I've, I've on the platform in front of big crowds. I've done it before. I've said, well, I missed it on that. I've been wrong. I've, I've called my elders and gone to my elders. I, I, one night after a service. Uh, <laughs> now you want to know, don't you? <laughs> I had been out on the road for quite a while and uh, had the opportunity to come back and help Brother Hagen on some things. And it was a bit of a transition and he asked me to come up on the platform and sing a song and I did. And he said, that's not it. Well, uh, you know, just that one thing right there. Yeah. What do you do? How do you respond? Yeah. And so I said, okay. I, he said, uh, see if you got something else. So does that sound like him or not? And, and so I did. He said, no, that's not it. I said, well, I, I had a part of a message. Because sometimes he asked me to speak. And, and he said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Now, all this is going on on the platform in front of a big crowd of people. This is in the middle of a service. And so he said, got something else? Now, this is round number three, you know. So I took off singing the song. I sang about a chorus. I could tell when I started, you know. He said, said, no, that's not it. I said, well, I got this, you know, part of this thing about a message. and, And he had already told me twice he didn't think so. And then he said, well, okay. And so I came up, started my little message, and it was dead. It was dry. Oh, it was bad. It was bad, man. And uh, Brother Hagin just sat there. And then he just got up and dismissed. We all went home. And uh, <laughs> now, now you're laughing, <laughs> but you can go different ways with this. Sure. You can be hurt, you can be defensive, right? That's pride. Or what else can you do? Come on, what else can you do? I uh, went back to the room. I thought, well, maybe I'll just take a bath and see if that helps my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> trying anything, eat a sandwich and take a bath and and I'm trying to take a bath and I just started crying. I mean, my tears falling into the water. And uh, you know, one thing we always want to do is keep a tender heart. If something bothers your heart, do not override that. Don't why? Because you callous yourself, and you get to the place where things like that don't bother you, and you're not in good shape then spiritually. 
I mean, you're still saved, but you're, yeah. you're dull of hearing. And it had already gotten later, you know. I think it was 11 o'clock or something. And so I, I said, I got to call Brother Hagin. So I picked up the phone, called his room. I said, it's Keith. He said, yeah. <laughs> I said, Dad, I missed it. I'm sorry. I, I just, he said, I know. <laughs> I said, I missed it so bad. I couldn't help myself. I started crying again. He said, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Just stay hooked. We've all missed it. Just stay hooked with me. It's fine. We'll do it better next time. And he encouraged me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we went on for the next five years and did meetings everywhere and had wonderful times. And I got so much. But I've seen people over things like that. That was the end. They were embarrassed or they, or they, you know, a lot of folks can't, they couldn't take a simple, that's not it. I've seen a number of people. I mean, I won't call names, but I've, I've seen people that he said that to. And, and they said, and he said, no, that wasn't it. And they said, no, I think that's it. I've heard from God. And one of them, and they said, well, well what about Keith? And he actually brought it up. He said, well, Keith has repented before. He, he told them. I wasn't there when it happened. Somebody told me later. I said, well, it's true. More than once. More than once. Well, who among us hasn't? Who among us hasn't made a mistake? For whatever reason, then we should act like it. We, we should act like we know we've made a mistake and, and we, we haven't. We don't know everything. We haven't done everything perfectly. Right? And that's the people who get the grace. They get the help. It flows like a stream into your life. And with enough grace, you can overcome anything. Hallelujah. Stand on your feet, everybody. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.